Hello and welcome to Chats, a television podcast, season 13, Drive Chats. This is the second series in our season on TV shows that didn't last 13 episodes before getting canceled. Now, folks, my name is Alan, and he does have issues, Holmes, because he looks white to me. It's It's Fugitive Recovery Agent Magellan. (laughs) Oh, no. Hey, everybody. What's up? How are you? I hit you with the one-two there. I put two episode quotes. Uh, yeah, I, I tried to sound white, but I don't think I did it. I think don't I just me spit on my sound tea. white. Don't make me spit on my tea. You do sound. It's all good. <laughs> we both do. It's okay. <laughs> How are you, bud? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> These episodes of Drive turned me into a motorcycle engine. I thought they were going to turn you into a car. We were going to finally join that writer who worked on Cars 3 and make a script for Cars 4. Ben Queen? You're talking about Ben Queen. Oh, right, because we made the Lightning McQueen joke. Good memory. Oh, I just remember because he's the guy who worked on A to Z. And I oh, my God. <laughs> Come on. The guy who created A to Z, by the way. I think we weren't clear enough. He's the creator of A to Z. The A to Z founder. That yeah. wasn't Ben. What's the no. Ben's What's the guy's name? Which Ben? The main guy on A to Z, the show. Uh, the main the actor. actors. Yeah, what his? Yeah, uh huh. Um, ben, ben Feldman. 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 It's He's a great a actor. Christ- yeah, he is, but it's mostly a Krista Milioti vehicle. Let's be honey, not really us. I think both of them carry their weight. You haven't okay. seen the show. I I I just saying Kristen in jab. I, I, we're on a first name. Krista Milioti's great. She's awesome. Katie Siegel's in this show. Leela from Futurama is in this show. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Seagal, like somebody's sorry. friend or something. Awesome. Yeah. Not Siegel. Anyways, we're talking about actors and actresses and TV shows that got canceled. And this week, we continue our journey down the American highway from southeast <laughs> to northwest. The highways of our time on the road. Sorry. Shout but out no, weeks. bingo. You got to cross promote. I love that. Uh-huh. And we're here talking about episodes three and four of Fox's 2007 TV show, Drive. Episode three is called Let the Games Begin, and episode four is No Turning Back. Is it a bummer that the third episode of your six-episode show is called Let the Games Begin? (laughs) Yes. Uh, This episode was written by Ben Queen, Tim Minear, and Aogin Mahoney, who uh, is a prolific TV writer who wrote on Star Wars The Clone Wars for a little while. So uh, he did good work. Uh, this episode was directed by Marita Grabiak, who directed a very good classic episode of Lost Season 1, Raised by Another. And Let the Games Begin aired April 16th, 07. Magellan, can you tell me what happened in Let the Games Begin? I surely can. In this episode of Drive, as the racers speed toward their next destination, Alex gets arrested and is separated from Karina, but is reunited with an old friend wink in the process his friend is a car 
just so we're clear. His old friend is a car. It's an actual car, and it's not a talking car like in the classic <laughs> film Cars. It's a just a muscle car, a roadster. Yeah. yeah. What do you um, think of Let the Games Begin? Yeah, I think that this episode felt like a cohesive series with an ensemble that mm-hmm. can occasionally engage with each other and characters that felt defined. This is my can favorite. I, can I zoom out for a second? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to hear the end of that sentence, but I also just want to keep checking in on if Drive is living up to how you remember it. Mm-hmm. And because you, you know, anyway. Sorry. So, no, it's a show that I picked for us to watch, and it only exists in my memory and the memory of a, a good friend of mine. So, like, yeah, I I will definitely talk about that. I have a lot in my notes about like things I remembered from this. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my favorite episode of the batch so far, episode three. Same. Um, same. Uh, it's an easy pick. We have all the characters get to do something interesting. We get some action. We get some in and out of car action for once. We actually get to see some honest to goodness racing and some collisions and. Some some good scenes, uh, and they don't do too many bad, awkward things with the effects. Uh, mm. Is the show still leaning into some of its uh, dicier characterization, such as the constant insistence of having Winston say Holmes every four seconds? Yeah, uh, yeah for sure. But yeah. it's an entertaining ride. Entertaining drive, uh, if you will. That's why I felt. Mm. So you liked it as well? Yeah, I really enjoyed this one. I walked out of episode three thinking, okay, this is like a show that I could see myself enjoying and watching a bunch of. I think they hit a lot of really fun character moments. I think there are a couple twists in this episode that are exciting. Um, And this this feels like the right blend of kind of character characterful and somewhat light ensemble storytelling with the kind of action movie we're gonna do cool stuff i thought the direction of the driving was like the best that it's been so far yeah right in the season which makes a big difference and uh i think the other thing that i had a greater appreciation for in this episode was we were talking last week with uh, Bartek and Ryan about how just the way that the ensemble is arranged, it you don't get to see a lot of like novel character interactions because everybody's with their partner in their car. But I was thinking about another show that does ensemble storytelling by siloing people off in different groups. And, you know, in, in so doing, you get to explore relationships much more deeply and through uh, a couple layers and uh have you ever heard of like, a little show called game of thrones uh, i think drive is the game of thrones of cars really controversial take you're right though the game of thrones comparison works because it's like you don't have to have everybody in the ensemble interact with everybody you know we often have mm-hmm. this this comment on chats about like the we the formerly known as the weed and test now we still need a better name for it i think we had a better name for it and i forgot it um but like the whole thing of can you mix any member of your ensemble together in a pairing or a trio and have them have interesting meaningful unique interactions uh-huh. uh and this show doesn't need to do that because they are all filmed on separate sound stages and they don't that's not what the show is you know winston and sean talk to each other occasionally they talk to i like to call them npcs and the reason i like to call them that is one i'm a i'm a diehard gamer 
And two, huh. uh, I was writing interviews with Tim Minear and company, and like literally they say that. They're like, yeah, we introduced like, uh, what's her name? The woman in that the gas station. They call her an NPC like in their TV notes. So they're weird. thinking about it like that. Yeah, weird. weird. <laughs> That's so strange. The intro of this episode definitely, by the way, felt like a uh, Need for Speed chapter or something. Um, mm-hmm. I used to love the Need for Speed games. If folks don't know, they were like, basically, if Drive was a game and you got to drive around different cities and, and like, you know, get cash prizes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Winston talks about the origin of his car and how it was from a guy named Tommy Guerrero who got it from another guy who was a former Latin king. And no, they thanks. can't. Nope. <laughs> no, thanks, Drive. Sorry. No, this no thanks. And then we have this this plot line bubbling of Sean really, really wanting to know what Winston went to jail for. And at first mm-hmm. he just says, Oh, it's for speeding. And we the the viewer are like, it's not you don't go to jail for speeding. Come on now. You love to see Nathan failing get arrested and assaulted by an officer, Michelle, don't you? Isn't that kind of weird <laughs> in this following scene? How um, in two thousand and seven yeah. no, I don't sorry, I don't mean I'm sorry, I don't mean to say I love to see it. I just think that the way this episode portrays cops is so it's funny. Fascinating. It's yeah. Whole, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and also because he is not a cop, he's a guy port pl- like playing a cop, right? Yeah, yeah. In the show, exactly. Yeah. Which adds a sort of layer to it. Um yeah, where do we where do we start? Are we going there? Or are we talking about the brothers? Um, uh, yeah, I guess because we do bounce around a lot. I was just going in linear order, but we can talk about uh, about Winston and Sean for a little bit. I think since everyone's so siloed off, we can just hit their plots one at a time. Yeah, I think the connecting thread, though, in the linear order directing of the episode is Winston talking about what he got arrested for and then Tully getting arrested, which just like somebody thought about that. Yeah. Somebody put yeah. those scenes after it on another well, and then um, but, Winston gets captured by the bounty hunter and there's, yeah, some apprehending going on across there, the episode. So this is the first of like a hundred extremely 2007 things about this episode. Bounty mm. hunters. Remember Dog the Bounty Hunter? <laughs> remember when we thought bounty hunters were like a totally normal profession and not like weapons of the state? <laughs> like super <laughs> strange that we made a TV show about that? Yeah. Uh, bounty mm. hunters exist. Um, this show, this episode also does the surprisingly good thing of taking the generic expectation of like it's a hot girl and Winston's flirting with a hot girl and she's got like a nice car and she's pretty and then like just being like hey she knows that he thinks that and she's here to cuff him um like it just kind of it, it tweaks your expectations here and there which is a lot better to me than just like Winston is the Hispanic stereotype I get it you guys like let's do a little bit more let's play with that instead of just doing it um Mm-hmm. So I actually found myself kind of enjoying the bounty hunter plot and the unintentional comedy of the fact that they only have one gas station set. And so they have to do the same, the same group of people go to the same gas station like three times over well, the course of the I time. don't think that's just because they have limited sets. I think it's also meant to tell you as an audience, like what order the racers are in, like who's in first, who's in second kind of thing. Yeah. It's better than like... um if they put up a marker on the side of the screen or something, because we do end yeah. up also having to have like uh, Rob have to constantly be like, "Babe, we're in first. Don't you know we're in first? And Ellie's like, "Yeah, I know. Hey, we're winning. Like you have they they right. have to like say that they're winning because otherwise we have no idea." Yeah, I I I liked it. I liked everybody going to the same gas station and 
they're kind of being common interactions where everybody is like, do you want a snack? Do you want something to drink? Or like every pair has some version of that interaction. Yes. Um, and then interacts with the, the gas station in however they do, which I think, I think it's a interesting proxy for those characters simultaneously existing in the same space and interacting with that space the way that they do mm-hmm. to instead kind of like give everybody turns with it. It almost feels like we all hung out at the gas station as an ensemble for a couple minutes there. Um, and then it also gives us the opportunity to have that really cool ending sequence where Alex Tully like races past everybody in yeah. the order that we've been told they were in because mm-hmm. that's the order we saw them hit the gas station in. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, there's like stuff that they pay attention to on the show. It's just like certain other things that they don't care about like connecting mm-hmm. certain plots together or making sense they just don't worry about that stuff too much yeah so the extent of the brothers plot uh just to kind of run it down is like you're saying sean is really interested in okay winston why'd you go to jail what's your deal i never even knew you and i found like sean's Sean's conflict and struggle in this episode really interesting because it I don't know I think the actor's playing it well and it's the most intriguing of the kind of like bonds between characters at this point because he has this guy who he's like putting all of these expectations onto you're my brother that should mean a certain set of things finally there's somebody who like I can relate to, it seems like he's starved for that in his life to have a, a peer or, or something like that. Um, but then also to see him upset to learn that his brother knew about him this whole time. And so he's once again, isolated and doesn't have that, the thing that he thought a, a brother could be. Um, it's, it's interesting to watch Sean kind of go through that arc of like, okay, I have a brother. Okay. He's kind of a jerk. Okay. I'm going to do this thing where I like spurn our dad and help him out. Okay. Now he's really mad at me. Well, shit. <laughs> and, uh, I, I thought that was engaging that whole arc. Yeah. Sean gets a little bit of characterization here that I enjoy. Um, and the fact that one, he like is genuinely crestfallen when he hears that uh, Winston, his brother, like was in Miami when he was in Miami. And he really says like we were I don't know if this is in this episode or the other one. I think it's in this one. It's in this says, one. Yeah. He says we were so close and you didn't I didn't know about you or we didn't know about each other. And then Winston is like, I knew about you. I chose not to like go toward go near you because I wasn't supposed to be in that part of the family. Like, uh-huh. uh, you know, there there are family that was separated by outside forces not by each other and now sean is like i wanted to have a brother you know Mm -hmm. um like i think they're almost even going for a will and carlton from fresh prince thing here but without being as cartoonish um because like where fresh prince says oh carlton like has a lot of privilege and doesn't need will sean here is very much like oh i've just been the lonely rich boy my whole life i guess it would have been nice to have a sibling we probably would have helped each other in life a lot yeah. And had some cool adventures. Yeah. it He has a clear need for Winston and like brotherly connection that Winston has like hardened himself against and also needs, but is not willing to be vulnerable about that, um, which is interesting to watch, I think. 
Yeah, they're, they they definitely elevated for me in this episode. And the scene where, uh, I don't remember her name, but the bounty hunter also catches uh, uh, Winston. And, like, he immediately, he's he's right away, he's like, uh, okay, keep going, take the car, get there. I need you to do the, the job. I'll catch up with you at some point. Like, he's just so used to being arrested and being involved with bounty hunters and police that he's like, okay, I know how this is going to go. I'll get out at some point. You need to move forward. That's, like... The key force in drive is forward momentum, and people are always yeah. trying to maintain it, even though, especially in this pair of episodes, they're, like, getting hard-stopped over and over and over again. Uh-huh. Um, also, they, like, I believe it's even within the same episode that they just drop it off. They just, Sean has the ability to pay off Winston's bounty, and then the lady's like, okay, thanks for the money. See you, guys. Hmm. Is that what happens? Sean pays it off? I'm pretty sure, yes, yeah, because okay. she she mentions like getting paid, and he's like, "Thanks, I guess," but you're once again using Dad's money to like do your work for you. Um, Sean also I just a, a a plot line that I don't rem- this is not a plot line I remember. Um, has a like other rich benefactor, uh, who comes to a din the the diner in next to the gas station. Yeah, it's like their dad's lawyer fixer guy. Who yeah, Sean is basically like, "Oh, okay, you're the one who arranged." You're the one who arranged for this bounty hunter to apprehend Winston. Yeah. I I got the sense that he was telling that guy, like, call off the bounty hunter or else I will, like, not be a part of the family anymore or something like that. I don't know. I think that's actually the case. Yeah. But that guy's going to, I think, is either going to come back or was supposed to come back. Nothing is ever clear with mm. a six-episode TV show. Mm. Uh, but I believe that covers... Winston and and Sean for this episode, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you want to talk about Wendy and Ivy real quick? Yes, I <laughs> I have my brain had to be like, okay, hold on, who's that? Yes, I would love to. I'm I'm committed to using the character names for no, this that's, series. That's good. I learned a few of them this time, so yeah, yeah. It takes a while. Melanie Linsky so when, and yeah, uh, Taryn. Taryn, Taryn, don't say Taryn, kill him. Ivy. Her her name's Ivy. (laughs) (laughs) So what do they do in this one? They're just kind of like, they're just kind of doing their odd couple thing, right? Mm -hmm. I don't remember. It's a little bit of of odd couple stuff. There's a little bit of like um, Ivy wanting to move the the car seat and Uh Wendy being like, don't ever touch that or move it or do anything with it because I'll hurt you or I'll kick you out of the car. Uh, I do oh. like the gag, by the way, that they go, they pull up to the same gas station. This is like the gas station, and mm-hmm. Ivy's like playing hardcore metal music, and Wendy's just like, "Ugh, I'm a mom. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not cut out for metal." <laughs> mm-hmm. It's also the third, the third beat of being at the gas station, and the first time it was Rob and Ellie, mm-hmm. uh, who <laughs> their exchange. We both wrote this down, but. He's like, do you want anything to drink? And she says, it's just you ew, come ew. back suit or something like that. Uh, so it's the first pair refusing the drink. Then we have Sean and Winston and whoever asked the other person who's like, no, nah, I'm good. I don't need anything, anything to eat. And then we get to Wendy and Ivy and Ivy's like, hey, you going to grab me some snacks in there? Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then she comes on. out and she's like, oh, I hope you like chocolate. I got I got trail mix. We should probably write down her allergies. Like, she's such a mom. Yeah. Ugh, I love her. Funny rule of threes thing. The other thing that we learn, <laughs> I forgot, at the beginning of this plot 
is we learn how Ivy knew uh, the other characters from her previous car. Oh my God. Speaking of 2007 <laughs> as hell. They met. She says, I met them once back during Katrina. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yeah. So it's just like, the thing that's nuts about Drive is it feels like somebody is making like a mid-aughts period piece. Yeah. <laughs> in the mid-aughts. Yeah, but they're in the in the mid-aughts. It's wild. Like, okay, yeah, there's the Iraq soldier guy. Uh, there's this group of women who met during Katrina. Everybody's got like big jeans on. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't. Bounty we're doing hunters. this whole. There's bounty hunters. We're doing like a Fast and Furious Grand Theft Auto thing, uh, and also I want to talk more about this in a minute. But it's like reality show as hell to mm-hmm. the plot of it. Um, but I guess that's just what happens when you try to make a show feel really relevant. Is you risk making it feel super dated. And uh, I don't know. Even when it's not that old. Right. So I just thought that that was a strange origin story that like didn't really feel relevant to, it didn't really feel relevant to like the contest, Mm -hmm. I guess, except maybe to say that that's why Ivy is so invested in like getting the money is she's had this experience with, total devastation and now she's like i really want to make sure that i'm secure for the rest of my life i suppose but they don't really make that like an explicit connection you know right and just to to place things in time a little bit i think for one uh the katrina stuff and the iraq war stuff definitely dates it a lot and is almost certainly partially network notes you got to make this more relevant this is on everybody's minds we're trying to have escapist television, but also like make your stuff relevant as hell, please. Like it kind of feels. What, what makes you? Th- what makes you think that that's network notes though? Like I could see that being someone coming in with the premise of the ensemble too. Well, I think you like because this is supposed to feel like a reality show. You want it to touch on reality a little bit, and it's, it grounds it in a real place and time. Um, and also, I think Fox in particular was just like really fixated on those two things at the time. Between 24, which is blown up the charts, and, you know, so Hurricane Katrina happened in August of 2005, right? Two yeah. years later. We're now in April of 2007. In right. September of 2007, Fox would go on to put out a one-season television show called Kville, where Anthony Anderson and another guy are cops oh, yeah, in New right. Orleans in the aftermath of Katrina. So what I'm saying is, like, Fox, like, really, really wanted to make shows about this because it felt like a cultural zeitgeist. Um, which also made me realize that I was not in the country when Hurricane Katrina happened. That was like the month that I went to Syria. And so I remember coming back and there being like, yo, there was a hurricane that killed a lot of people and the government's not doing much about it. And so like whenever I see stuff about Katrina, it, I feel so distant from it because I'm like, I don't even I don't even it's not even like 9-11 where I was like, yes, I saw it on TV. Like I didn't even see it on TV. I, I just yeah. in the month, the news cycle had moved on by that month, basically. So I just always find it so unique. But to answer your question too, I think like this is a Fox thing more than it is a network thing, like a general network thing. And uh, it feels like it's separate from the plot, like you said. Like it doesn't benefit Ivy's storyline to know that she, you know, met the other girls in 
during Katrina? Is a show, so a show like Lost, for example. Yeah. Uh, is a show, Lost started in what, 08? 06, right? I believe. 06. Does Lost have stuff like this where on characters in the ensemble are linked to kind of like of the time events? You know what I mean? Sorry, 04, be- just to be clear. 04. Um, not really. Okay. They they made a deliberate effort because they were on an island to be like, we don't have to actually reference things that happen in the real world. And then like when they would, spoilers, when they would be not on the island, um, mm-hmm. they wouldn't really dig into that because they had like other, they just had so much mystery box stuff going on by that point that I there was you. no room to be like, oh, and then uh, Locke was in Iraq for 10 years or whatever. Right. Because I'm trying to, th- I I hear what you're saying about there's this sort of like, commerce pressure of like make the show connected to these larger contextual things that are on people's minds and are going to get people to watch the show. Mm -hmm. But also it is like a thing that was happening in story TV story. I mean, here's the only example I have, which is studio 60 on the sunset strip, which I've been thinking about for the last five minutes. Um, I think it's the last five years (laughs) for the last 20 years of my life. Um, Because, in Studio 60, like, 9-11 was, in the Iraq War, were, like, really important contextual elements of the show. Mm-hmm. And, like, the way that characters' worldviews were shaped by those things. And so I'm wondering, like, there's kind of this commerce side of, like, make it relevant, but there's also kind of this side of it where... uh those things just felt so present and so uh, important that I feel like if you're making a show like Drive, you're going to be tempted to want to pitch the ensemble to have connections to those things um, and not just be sort of like noted into having those things. So I'd be curious to know like to what extent these things were in the original concept versus not because it feels very tacked on like you're saying, in this mm-hmm. moment where Ivy's like, yeah, we met during Katrina. When the levees broke, they I helped them out. And like ugh, the phrase when the levees broke always like sends me because it's like such yeah. a charged concept, you know? Yeah. And it's, yeah, it just is a moment where it's like, why is this character presenting these things in this way or talking in this way? Why is that? She's like, yeah, we weren't really friends. We just met during Katrina. Like, Huh? I don't know. It's just, it's strange. And I can't tell, I think what I'm trying to get at is I can't tell if it's strange because of what you're saying that it was pushed in there or strange because it was so dominant in people's minds and in the zeitgeist that it maybe felt more natural at the time. And now looking back at it, it's like, huh, that feels kind of arbitrary making the character say that. I think it's a bit of column A, column B, and we can't yeah. know the full extent. I do know, like, reading interviews that t- they've said, like, we. I think there was a quote of, like, we were so busy following network notes with this show that we barely had time to tell a story in the six episodes that we got. Okay, I see. So, like, there was there definitely was that, but I don't know how much of that affected the, that plot line. You can that's tell, right. though, that they wanted to get past it because Wendy literally, like, that's also prompted by her being like, how did you get into the race? You know, she asks Ivy that. And Ivy's like, well, this, mm-hmm. this and that happened. And then Ivy goes, well, how did you get into the race? And Wendy, like, doesn't answer the question. 
She's like, uh-huh. uh, anyways, like, I hope you like caramel or something like that. Or that's a line she says later. But yeah, she just they don't want to actually talk about that stuff in a meaningful way. Although like in the second episode, they sort of do, but not doesn't seem like Wendy's interested. Um, So that's their plot line. Rob and Ellie are the most tragically straight people in all of Drive so far, <laughs> rivaled only by Tully and Karina, um, who aren't straight for each other necessarily. They're mostly just TV <laughs> protagonists. They just exude straightness. <laughs> Those genes are only held together. Starch is straightness. Yeah. Um, yeah, we already quoted the Robin Ellie line. They also go to the gas station, and the TV station just happens to be broadcasting news about the Iraq War. And uh, Rob sees that one of the people in his uh, in his group in the in the military uh, was killed. Um, and so he spends the next two episodes being this episode and the next one being like, I got to call my CEO. I got to call him. I got to go back. I got to go back. And meanwhile, you get the sense that Ellie like is trying to avoid that talking about that. Yeah. Um, we eventually learn that she just from these episodes that she kind of is because she doesn't want him to go back. She doesn't want him to die. And it's uh-huh. this hokey like. Iraq war is like an amazing like battleground where we go to sacrifice our lives for our country against the bad people. Like they have no interest in making this a nuanced portrayal of how the war was handled. No, no definitely not. But um, Rob is just utterly transfixed by this and wants to get a, just kill me, just get a phone call in. And their, their, their plot line is the most affected by like old technology because, for mm-hmm. example, when he gets a cell phone, he's like, let me just call him. And she's like, you're going 90 on the highway. You can't call, hold a cell phone. And it's like, guys, if you just had Bluetooth, you'd be, you'd be fine. <laughs> like, you can... <laughs> and then throwing th- multiple phones get thrown out of their car window. It's great. Um, the layered car just ex- – I, I wrote my, my notes that it is a projectile for cell phones. Uh-huh. And if if one of those is a Nokia, I love that the second one, by the way, this is jumping way ahead, but the second phone that comes out their window is a Nokia and it survives. The first one's not, so it doesn't survive, which is great. Uh-huh. <laughs> just add right there. Um, I did some Googling, by the way. This is not – just quote, tapping into Winston real quick because I'm going through yeah. my notes. He's played by Kevin Alejandro who played uh, – who's now in the Arrowverse in the Greg Berlanti universe. Uh, okay, sure, sure. He was Mayor Sebastian Blood, so I'm learning things this uh-huh. week. Also, sorry, I have to be that guy, but um, Rob's friend who died has the last name Baca, which I can't not think about in an anime way. <laughs> uh-huh. I just have funny. to, I just have to say that as well. But yeah, so Ellie throws his car is um, his car. Throws <laughs> she throws a car and then runs up a building. She throws his phone out of the car because she's like, "You gotta pay attention. We have to win the race so that we can escape the military," which gets stupid in the second episode. Right. Yeah, their whole. The two of them, I think, are the duo that I'm, like, the least interested in because it's such a shallow thing that the show is doing. Um, Because with him, like, is there anything that he's done that we could potentially be critical of? Or is he really just this sort of, like, nice soldier boy who just wants to do the best he can and be honorable? And I guess you could say that that is, like, you could have a reading of that and your own personal judgments of that as like selfish or misguided or whatever, which I do. But I feel like the show hasn't done anything to portray him negatively. Right. I think that he's just ignorant. I think he's like narrow minded. Yeah. yeah, I guess that's true. But the show isn't um, saying like, this is a bad ideology to have or whatever. Yeah. It's just so milk toast, like what they're doing with him. And then, 
her character being entirely framed around. Like, I just I, love you. She says, I, I love, love you, so, you much. so much. I just don't want you to die. It's like, okay, I, I get it. I get that we wanted to explore this kind of a character. There was a lot of media that was exploring like the effect of, you know, military service on the people we leave behind and stuff, but it just doesn't feel like a complete character to me. I don't mm-hmm. know. I agree. It's a little boring. I, I definitely, and I don't think, I don't think it's going to have the chance to go anywhere, but the no. second episode introduced a, a wrinkle to it at the very least. Yeah. And also it's just like this, this lady's being so irrational and she's like, you know, screening my calls. Oh, it feels oh my God. misogynistic too. the way yeah. that it's, Portrayed? Well, everything about the way they portray Ellie is, is like dipped in misogyny, like a little donut. Yeah, yeah. The looking at her butt stuff, the way that she gets out of the car, like she's in a like a music video, and she's like, eh, "I'm gonna I, I drink you." It's like, God, <laughs> stop! Just be a person for five seconds. You the way it? they gas up their car, like running around in circles and slapping each other on the butt and stuff. It's like, come on, stop it's a, it! It's so ridiculous. There's it's a lot so of movement. Silly. Yeah. Uh, the last short plot before we just get into the Alex and Karina power hour is uh, just um, John uh, and his daughter. John and Violet. There we go. I found it. Uh, John and Violet learning how to lie to each other effectively. And Violet teaching mm-hmm. John how to lie, but actually he already knew how to lie. Super interesting stuff here, right? I, I like I like this plot a lot, actually. This continues to be my favorite plot because, and I wrote this in my notes, Every other plot is trying really hard to be something it's not, you know? Mm-hmm. Alex and Karina is like, we're going to be an action show. We're going to reveal, like, deep, dark secrets about this man. And, like, we're going to go on, like, heists and stuff. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, Winston and Sean is like, we're going to go tap into the racial divide and all that. And this one's like, this is, like, a white family who are having, like, health troubles and, like, are trying to learn how to lie. It's that. Mm-hmm. It's very simple. It's not too ambitious. And it succeeds in what it's trying to do. Uh, and I like it a lot for that because Emma Stone and, and Dylan Baker are also like fantastic actors and um, they bring a lot to this scene um, mm-hmm. yeah. because basically uh, Violet is saying like, oh, dad, something you don't know is that like, I, you're really bad at lying. And if mom calls, then you're not going to know how to tell her like what we're doing and where we are. And he's freaking out about that. And she's like, you know, I know how to lie. I'm I'm a teenage girl, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is extremely like written by adults kind of thing to say. Uh-huh. All, all the lines of like, oh, Violet, she, like, what do you mean you're a good liar? And she's like, remember that time that I like helped my friend with her STD issue? And he's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. She's like, he goes, wait, were you not? And she's like, no, dad, I wasn't. I wasn't at an STD conference or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, And so she tries to teach him and then he calls uh, or gets picks up the phone. She thinks it's his mom, uh, his wife, Barbara. And he's like, hey, Barbara, what's going on? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take Violet up to this place in like NorCal and we're going to hang out and then I'll, I'll bring her back next weekend. I love you. And you and you get to watch Emma Stone be like, oh, my God, I taught my dad to lie. This is so fun. And I'm like mm-hmm. a good t- child. And meanwhile, we just it's such a good cut. We cut to the other side of the phone call and it's the doctor being like, John, what are you saying? What it's do you mean? Really good. Yeah. Really and he's well like. Done. He's like, I don't know what you're getting at, John, but your medicine is what's keeping you alive. You have to take it. You're going to die without it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, damn. And he's like, yep, sounds good. And does that classic thing where he's saying one, like the he's answering the guy, but also making up a story at the same time. Mm-hmm. 
Love this. Dylan Baker's a fantastic actor. I keep saying it. And he lies through his teeth like it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't remember where this one goes. I do have an inkling, but it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And so finally, uh, we have Tully and Karina. Uh, Tully gets arrested by an officer named Officer Poole at the beginning of the episode um, who assaults him. And the way that they cut to the theme song is that the officer like hits him with a nightstick in the face, which I was like... <laughs> Mm. Police brutality in my 2007 drama? Huh? Mm. This is weird, but we quickly learn that this is not an actual police officer because Karina spends the entire episode in uh in the police office being like, "Can you guys please find this officer? My friend was beat up." It's kind of a scary yeah. thing to think about if you're like if you and I were in a car and I got like assaulted and then taken away. And you're like, who do I tell about this? Like, what do I know that I can find Alan? Because mm-hmm. he's just gone for all intents and purposes. And the police obviously don't have, uh, like, any information. Because they're like, we have an officer pool. And, like, this other dude comes in. And he looks nothing like uh, the officer she saw. And she so she's worried the whole time. Mm-hmm. And we cut over to what Tully's got going on. And he's in a booth being interrogated. Because it's a two, it's a show, one of these shows, and there has to be an interrogation scene. That's in the mm-hmm. rule book. Mm-hmm. This, my friend, is the plot line that I remember the most from this show. Is like, that what's up sense. with Tully? That makes sense. It's sort of like the main lore of the show, right? Yeah, and it's not, just from these episodes, it's not as exciting as I remembered it being. Because they mostly reveal it, right? They say, like, you are a mm-hmm. person who killed people, and you're a good driver. And then later when they rob a bank, you're like, okay, I put it together. Was he a getaway driver? And it's like, okay, he was a getaway driver for like some criminals. That's all it is. That's his, when I was a kid and today Mm -hmm. I I thought to myself, man, I wish it was like he was a sleeper cell for the military or like he is an android or like something wild. And the reality is just, it, it like gives him the special set of skills to win the race. It basically gives him like driver power. Uh, Right. Yeah. And it, the episode puts a lot of stock in this sort of battle for Tully's soul because we see some clips back at home in uh, Nebraska where his sister is like with a bunch of people looking around his house, looking for his wife. And there's a picture of him with his muscle car up on the mantle. And she's telling the detective guy like, Oh, he's left that life behind. He's not that guy anymore. And so there's this continual emphasis that's placed on like Tully was saved from the criminal life by his (laughs) wife yeah, and he's not a bad guy anymore. Now he just runs a landscaping business and he settled down and he's fine. Um, And the game, the drive game is like corrupting him and giving him a taste of what it means to drive fast. And Ooh, now he's got a little bit of a smirk on his face and he's holding the knife to the guy's throat. And, and I, I I sit and I watch that and I'm like, okay, I understand the like conflict that you're showing me by saying that Tully's having this sort of moral dilemma, but I don't know who's wanting that. And so it doesn't mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. Why do the people who run the game want him to be a bad dude again? Why do they want to reignite this flame from his past? What? Oh, tell me something. 
because otherwise I don't really care, you know? Like, I felt I, that. I don't... Go ahead. Yeah. I felt that multiple times watching these episodes where I was like, I think the Tully plotline would be better if you just strip fed me a tiny bit more info, just a little bit more. Yeah, because right now they're asking us to take it on faith. The people who run this game are nefarious. So whatever they want is bad. Doesn't matter how it's bad. Doesn't matter to what end it's bad. Just know that they're not good and the thing they want is bad. And that's not enough for me at this point in the show. I need a little bit more because otherwise I see Tully go through this character arc, I guess, uh, and I don't have like a framework for it or context for it or a reason to have a stake in it. No, I definitely. And the show wants us to just like jump forward further and further with this too, to get us back to driving because we can't have people sit in an interrogation room for too long. Mm -hmm. uh, so they kind of zoom right past it right before it gets really interesting. Um, the guy who's not a real cop says uh, like, I want you to be, the Alex Nully, not the one from Hastings, Nebraska, not the landscaper, but like the the cold-hearted killer and lightning fast driver. Be the real you and do it right now. And he takes a chair and he smashes the window of the interrogation room. And it's not an interrogation room; it's a, it's a <laughs> like a shed inside, a soundstage inside of a bigger like warehouse. And on the other side is a fucking fully equipped sports car that he can just have. That they're like. It's so video gamey. It's so like you have acquired new car. Congrats yes. on your upgrade. Go drive yes. now. Yeah. Um. It feels like the show it just is is if a show like The Driver is is in a rush to keep on the road. Uh, and sometimes that means that we like lose potential interest in character. But um, I thought overall this is like fine. It's just like the stakes don't feel right for what they're trying to do here. Right. Yeah. Uh. And so they, he meets up with Karina again. They get in the car. They zoom past everybody. I love, again, the the timing that, like, everybody is exactly in the order that they were in when they got to the gas station. They're just now about to reach the objective. They all got this ticket, by the way, that said admit one. And I wanted to point out that really funny line where Sean is like, Winston, it says admit one. Do you think we have to admit something when we get to the objective? Like, can you admit why you went to jail? <laughs> And he's like, no, it's not like that. It's a ticket that lets you go through a garage. Um, So they win. They get to the end. And uh, the guy is like, everybody, welcome to the drive-in theater. It's time for the movie. And the thing counts down. Everyone's excited. And that's where our episode leaves us. Uh, yeah. Let's go to a drive-in theater, yeah? Yeah. I, I, uh, I miss drive-in theaters. I mean, I really don't like cars. And I don't think that our society should have cars. But... I'll be sad to see drive-in theaters go. Have you been to one? Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I, yeah. I have not. I've been meaning to. I meant to last summer, and then I meant to in, like, the end of August, and then it got cold, so it didn't work out. You had an opportunity to? No. I was, like, planning to go to one, and then there was not a warm day after that. Oh. So, well, if we I should, We should do it. That sounds like a plan. Great. Let's uh, be right back after our quick trip to the drive-in. Oh, I have some stray notes. Can I give you some stray notes, please? Just yeah. Yeah. I'm new, I'm I'm not usually the one with the three notes, but I love this show very much. Uh, Violet, <laughs> this is the best world building of all time. Violet doesn't like her mom. She says she's always hanging out with, and I quote Magellan, she's always hanging out with Herbert and the Nanobot twins. 
And I want an entire comic book series about a Herbert and the Nanobot twins, <laughs> whatever that means. Are they nerds? Are they literally nanobots? We will never know. This plot goes nowhere. That's funny. Uh, the bounty hunter's name, by the way, was Dupree. And I thought it was really yeah. funny and also ridiculous that she just points a loaded gun at a civilian. She's like, Sean, get away. And it's like, I guess she's not a cop, but can a bounty yeah, hunter? Yeah, we're in the like, middle of a gas station. Like, this is not a secluded area. To point a loaded gun? Yeah, not cool at all. Yeah, weird. Um, but she's out of the story, so she's no longer relevant to my to my life. Uh, but that's all I got. I'm excited. Let's keep this this gravy train rolling. Uh, but did you have any? Do you have any straight, straight ones, Miguel? No. Okay. We'll keep the gravy train rolling then, and we will be right back to discuss. No turning back. Welcome back to Drive Chats, the second show in this season, 13, I was going to say 13 going on 13, but 13 under 13 is the name of this season of Chats, where we watch shows that are 13 or fewer episodes canceled before their time, or canceled rightfully after their time, which was zero and they shouldn't have been made. You know, we'll decide that later. Anyway. It's Drive. It's episode four of Drive. Alan. Yes. Hey. Hi, so Alan. we've watched Drive episode four, No Turning Back. is written by Ben Queen, Tim Minear, and Craig Silverstein, and directed by Elodie Keene. It aired on April 23rd, 2007. What happened in this one? In this episode, Tully and Karina are forced to call on the aid of Winston and Sean to help them break into a bank in Georgia to steal a safety deposit box in the bank's vault, which holds a clue to where the finish line may be. Meanwhile, Wendy wants to quit when she learns that her infant son may be in danger, but Ivy is not willing to give up and forces Wendy to drive on by literally putting the gun to her head. That's not a saying people say, you guys. Hmm. Disqualified from the race after arriving at the last drive-in the- arriving last after the drive-in theater, Susan, remember Susan, y'all. Susan vows to continue the race with Lee because she tells Lee that she claimed to have had a vision from God to continue the race, giving away... Nope, not reading that part. No. The IMDb summary is not great. Also, Rob learns that Ellie blocked his phone messages from his commanding officer to return to active duty, which makes him now a fugitive from the U.S. Army. He's AWOL, gamers. And that's... (laughs) What does AWOL stand for again? Absent without leave. I didn't even have to Google it. Holy crap. Good job. Thanks. What did you think of this episode? I know what you thought of this episode. Just tell the people. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's worse than the third one for reasons that I think are interesting and get at the root of what makes drive not work for me. So uh, this is kind of my big 
my big picture take on Drive. I think that it's the plot of like the sort of rat race plot of, okay, we are going to race from one side of the country to the other is a plot that works really well in a movie where you only need to sustain, you know, an hour and a half's worth of driving around. And so you could just say, hey, whoever gets the, the other coast first wins. Boom. Easy. And you don't have to really say much more than that. The problem that comes in with Drive is turning that plot into a TV show. And how do you tell discrete, like, mini stories that begin and end within the larger story of driving from coast to coast? And since you need some structure and some, like, short-term objectives... You need to find this contrived way to create those things in the actual plots of episodes. And so what we end up with is something that is shaped a lot like a reality TV show because those are the sorts of shows that do this kind of thing that say, here's your big picture objective, players. Right. You're all driving towards the same cash prize. In the meantime, here are some challenges or some shorter term things that you're going to have to navigate. And uh, I think in 2007, when this came out, maybe it made more intuitive sense that the show would operate like The Amazing Race or Survivor or Big Brother or whatever. It feels a lot like those shows. And being distant from that moment, that heyday of those sorts of reality TV shows, it feels really artificial and doesn't it doesn't make sense what organization wants this to like put people through a series of games and to have these sorts of reality TV show rules without there being, uh, are they like, who are they trying to entertain? Because it feels like that's the only purpose to do this kind of thing. Or what is this like a saw thing where they're trying to like punish people for particular things or, I just I wish I understood what was animating the events in the world to happen in the way that they do, because it feels right now like the only reason we have an episode like this mm -hmm. where they say you have a special challenge, go rob a bank. It feels like the only reason we have an episode like this is to have an episode of TV as opposed to there being an in-universe motivation for stories to be structured in this way. So. I've, the whole episode like didn't work for me because I didn't understand why it was happening like this. Yeah, I think it, it lays bare how incredibly artificial the series can feel and its tension can feel. Yeah. And what's what's fascinating to me is, you know, I said last episode how uh, it, it seems like sometimes they have like interesting plot. But we have to rush past it to keep driving. And meanwhile, this is the episode where we reintroduce two C-tier characters who didn't have to be reintroduced um, mm -hmm. just for the sake of them. Kill one of them off just so we can do that and say that we did that. Right. Um, and spend like no less than 10 minutes on the goings on in Sweetwater, Georgia, where we meet the bank manager. We look inside the safe. We sit in the diner. Winston orders a chai latte. Like... All of the stuff. And then we talk about the fucking bread festival, the sorghum festival. And it's <laughs> like, guys, what is the pace of this show? 
can we have right. to eat, are we going somewhere fast or are we stopping to go do fun things you can't have right. both of those things and it feels like now they're deciding oh, actually we have to just sit here for a while we can't go too far too far too fast right and i would uh, have liked it a lot more if the show was like if it was more explicitly hey you're doing this sort of race across the country but you're going to be doing these like heists and things along the way that we want you to do because we want like whoever's organizing this we want like certain jobs done and we don't want it to be traced back to us and we don't care if you screw it up and get in trouble because we're not even paying you to do it uh like that's interesting to me and if that's what's going on then that's cool but just say that and make that a part of the game instead of a surprise that now we're doing a heist uh I would be much more interested in the show if it if that was a part of it instead of this being like a kind of random up oh, here's the thing we're doing this week yeah. you're robbing a bank. It yeah, and it feels very reality showy where it's like you don't feel like going anywhere, you just want us to do fun stuff and that's not always exciting. Yeah. Um the clue this week by the way that they get at the drive-in movie theater is Surrender America um which eventually it's funny that Sean figures this clue out first for us, the viewer, because they're like planning a completely unrelated bank heist. This is the crew that's taking the shortcut, by the way, that doesn't take them to this clue. And yet he, they're like, oh, I wonder if everyone else is figuring out the clue. And he goes, oh, it's this. It's it's Appomattox. Uh, Appomattox, board. yeah. And it's like, wh- why is he the one that figured it out? Meanwhile, we get all these different <laughs> scenes of Ivy being like, I hate puzzles. I'm tired of puzzles. And we get Ellie and Rob being, and she's reading Surrender America. And Rob goes, stop saying that. Can you stop saying it? And I can tell it's because he's in the military. And he feels <laughs> weird about hearing that term. And it's like, oh, uh, uh, I also hate the clues. I like the idea of the clues, guys, just in general from a structuralist. It's not a good clue. It was very obvious. <laughs> like, well, also, like. Clue. Is it? Because it's, you know, yes, it's where Lee, like, he surrendered, and you know it's around the same state. They tell you that, but that the first thing I th- The first thing I thought when it said surrender America was like, oh, yeah, like, wherever the Confederacy surrendered, maybe. Mm. And I didn't really think about it much beyond that, but that's what it was. It's not a very, not a very, like, tricky clue. I don't know. I, I, I more want to see uh, clues where you, like, I want to see a racer fully get the clue wrong. Because everybody mm-hmm. always gets it right. Everybody always gets them right. And it's like, come on, guys. Um, Can I? I'm just gonna uh, share my screen real quick. I want to show you something. Sure. So, okay. So, where do we start in this episode? Uh, do you remember the name of the place? Sweetwater, Georgia. Well, then we're in Rome. We're in Rome, Rome Georgia. Georgia. Right? Rome, Georgia is where the okay. is. Yeah. So, take a look at uh, this Google Map search here so here's rome georgia yep here's appomattox uh-huh i mean right oh. that that doesn't make any sense they went northeast yeah i thought they were going northwest i thought that was the whole point right we start down here in florida yeah we zip up to rome and now we're gonna go cut northeast well, so, so- where they are go we northeast. going, guys? They go northeast, and then Tully and company go north, north mostly to Sweetwater, which is not a real city, by the way. Sweetwater, uh-huh. Georgia. 
You, but I don't know where we're going. I thought we were going to like Northern California. I thought that was the whole. That was yeah. The I thought we were supposed to go to the West Coast. So I, uh, who knows what they're maybe they're taking the scenic route. Doing. Yeah, I mean that's the other thing that's like kind of weird about this show is if you're gonna just do a bunch of random things around the country, then make it that instead of whoever gets to the other coast first wins. Because. Well, yeah. The, and then the other thing that's weird about the tension of this is like you can create different arrangements of who's in the lead episode to episode, but everybody ends up at the same checkpoint at the end. And there's no discernible like point system or something like that that tracks who's the most in the lead. Yeah. So like the, that tension on episode to episode basis is also meaningless because everybody just shows up at the checkpoint. At the at same the time. Like, yeah. they make a big deal about, like, oh, Tully and Karina got to the theater first. But everyone else got there, like, a millisecond later. Like, they just all go in line into the parking lot. So it's, like, how much of a race is this that we all basically get there around the same time? We always seem to meet each other on the road. Like, and they all look dejectedly as Tully gets there first. And they get the shortcut because, quote, they were the most improved which doesn't mean anything. Most improved from what? From like they started in last and got to first? Like, I, how I did think you it's make... most improved between checkpoints, yeah. Okay. It doesn't It doesn't seem like that was very clear. Uh, but I think mm -hmm. that like, yeah, the measures of points and stuff are just non-existent. They don't care about that in the series. Um, yeah. I was also just bothered by the fact that some of the town names are real and some of them are fake. Like Sweetwater Georgia not being a real place. I was like, okay, what are you, what are you guys doing? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, Winston and uh, his brother are the only smart people who actually decide to follow Tully and Karina on their shortcut. I don't know why everyone isn't doing this, actually. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought everybody was going to do. <laughs> there are too many people who dutifully are like, okay, well, I, I can't we go. have to go to our checkpoint. The whole, I feel like the, that should have been the point. It's the whole of everybody is like gunning after Tully now. Yeah. But they don't really build tension with that. It's just so that they can meet yeah. uh, Winston and Sean and be like, hey, you guys want to make, strike a deal with us? Yeah. Um, Which was kind of fun to see the four of them hanging out, right? Yeah, yeah. That I, I thought was like pretty funny and light in the way that I wanted the show to be. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't taking itself too seriously. We can, we can touch on that now just to get through it. Um, they realize that Tully's clue is that he has to rob a bank and steal a safety deposit box from behind the vault. Uh, in Sweetwater. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they agree. There's something weird about Karina being like, I need somebody who can help us rob a bank. Let me hit up the guy who's been to jail. He probably knows how to rob mm -hmm. a bank. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, y'all. Yeah. I'm just saying it's there. They're being weird. Yep. Uh, but of course he agrees to it. And of course he knows how to rob banks. Like he's done it a hundred thousand times and talks about it. Like it's his freaking lifeblood. <sighs> yeah. Um, and so they go to Suwater. There's a bread festival, whatever. They don't really get into that. Um, but they do talk to the bank manager about that. I love I think It's so funny that the bank manager is like, oh, you guys want to see behind the safe? Sure. Let me just open up the safe real quick. And I, I know that's like you can just go look at your safety deposit box. But the willingness to open the safe to st complete strangers was very sus to me. I'm like, mm -hmm. what kind of bank manager is this? But in general, they make robbing a bank seem like the easiest thing in the world. Right, um, they just walk in, grab the thing, <laughs> shoot like, a guy. Okay, sure. We're not going to deal with that dead body at all, probably. Maybe. Uh, yeah, who knows? 
We are going to worry about Sean, though, because as they get in, uh, a guy who says he's a cop, but again, I don't think is a cop. Well, because is it because he's a security guard? Is that what they meant by like, you're not a cop? I think so, but he could have also been an agent of the game. Who knows? Um, He attempts to shoot them. He does end up um, successfully shooting Sean, who takes a, a blow to the chest and they get away with the safety deposit box and Tully takes them up to a hotel um to be like this is really confusing and it made me go like why can't tully just tell people what's going on like the last five minutes of this episode are them just like driving quickly to a motel and he's like get out this is gonna be fine this is how we're gonna save sean's life and then the episode ends and it's like can you like if i was in that situation i'd be like i'll do what you want can you just tell me a little more though like why we're going to a motel and not a hospital and like what's the play here anything it just feels like they needed to punt it to the next episode so they couldn't say anything right. here right um but sean's wounded i do also the del- the line delivery uh where sean is like uh he's like i think he shot me i think i'm dead bro <laughs> like, <laughs> come on you can sell that one like a little bit better one more time please uh yeah that's the that's that plot line um i thought it was actually legit fun watching them get a heist ready and like chilling out of starbucks or whatever and getting ready to do it but um this didn't have to take as long as it did and also i don't know sean's shot now so we have like more stakes if if, if we needed anything it was more stakes i just think this is the wrong like this episode ending with look we killed a character look Sean's dying look he killed a random guy it's like what do you think you are drive i'm not here for this sort of, like super dramatic oh my god we killed you shot that guy i want this to be like a fun goofy action romp so also we don't even know Sean that 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 well yet like right okay that's a bummer i don't know anyone that well yet I think Sean will be fine. Uh, there, yes. There's like he's in the credits, which is unfortunate. It's unfortunate because like they fully killed a black woman after Bingo. she had like, you know, said a weird religious thing and served her purpose to them in the narrative. Yes. And then it's like okay, done with her, which is really shitty. But then it's like, nah, this guy's gonna, you know, writhe and then be okay in the next one. Let's talk about Susan and Lee super quick. Uh, yeah, so they're yeah. back. They arrive. It's so goofy. I was just rewatching the scene now. Uh, they arrive at the drive-in a day late, a full day late, and they have this delusion of like, we're still good, right? Like we're good. We're probably mm-hmm. fine. And then like, are we here first? Did we miss a party? And then the handler is like, you guys are like a full twenty-four hours late. Are you kidding? And Susan's like, oh, all this bad stuff happened to me. Like they didn't have meat on my double meat sandwich, and it's like you had like a, like three legitimate reasons to be mad. And you're just not selling your point here. I know that's the joke, but it's just like Susan's kind of <laughs> her characterization is up and down for me. Yeah. And Lee's characterization is <clears throat> non-existent at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but Susan uh, reveals that she's a religious person and that she's hearing words from God telling her that they're going to win. You're going to win. She says over and over again, not referring uh-huh. to herself, but probably to Lee. Uh, uh-huh. They then quickly turn that from like, Okay, cool. You're like a religious like survivor of Hurricane Katrina. That's great. No, literally, she's hearing the voice of God. And the show very quickly goes from like, she's religious to, is she delusional? Is she sick? And it's like, yeah. okay, wow, that was a really hard pivot into 
some weird stuff. Um, I guess hearing voices and visions is immediately our sign that somebody's delusional. Like, okay. <sighs> it's handled really just heavy handedly. And I think that there's, mm-hmm. there could have been something there, but it's not. And, uh, they manage to drive behind Rob and Ellie, who throw a second phone out the window because Rob is sick of driving and, and throws the race phone out the window. And oh they're like, oh, my God, it's a sign from God. This Nokia phone got thrown out of an 80 miles per hour car and survived. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they pick it up and they think they're back in the race. But that's not how rules work. So a like F off Hummer or whatever pulls up on them, crashes into them, flips them over and then T-bones them, which. Yeah just kind of hastily leads to Susan's death uh, because again you can't have a character who is a black and be religious without them having to make a sacrifice of something <laughs> being C dead yeah see yeah, exactly uh, yeah. which motivates Lee to continue the race and believe in the fate uh, that is destined for her because as the episode ends in the most embarrassing fucking way possible she so gets picked fucking up dumb. This she, sucks. Gets, she gets picked up and the guy says, where are you going? And she says, Appomattox. And he goes, where Lee surrendered. And she smiles and says, not this time. Fuck that. <laughs> like, guys. It's a, That's really bad. Her name's uh, Lee, like General, like Robert E. Lee. And the not optics, just that it's dude. like a, not just that it's a fucking stupid pun, but like you're saying, this is a black woman who's like, not this time talking about the general of the confederacy <laughs> like that's my guy we're not surrendering like what the fuck are you doing tribe it's embarrassing it's so it's so written by white people too to be like look i did it like the name you know we're post-racial we don't even notice the fact that she's black even though earlier in the episode lee literally says we shouldn't drive through here there's too many confederates like uh, flags. yeah they really love the confederacy down here they right. probably won't like it. Like they quickly nudge at the addressing their race, but then it's like, mm. but she's you know she's like I'm not I'm not like General Lee. What? No, it stopped. It's just a funny pun, guys. Don't do that. Don't end your episode on that. It's really bad. Yeah, it's so stupid. Ooh. So Lee's in the race, I guess. Now I guess it's legal that you. There's no rules. There's no rules to the drive race. You can steal someone's phone and then you're in the race. Yeah. Here's the thing that's also strange to me about the like stakes of this episode is at the end of this episode, like four, four of our main pairs are like not in the race. (laughs) And this one lady Lee, who was gone last episode is now in the race again. Who's in the race? Who, what's happening? What, you know, Ivy and Wendy have turned around. Tully and Karina are like, uh, are back to racing now that they've robbed a bank. Or no, no, they've stopped at a hotel. Well, they're just, yeah, they're in a tailspin because Sean is dying. And so Sean and Winston are also out of commission. And then Rob and Ellie don't have a, a race phone anymore. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> what are Ivy- we doing? Well, I guess, uh, what's it called? John and, and Violet are in it, but Violet. we do not see them in this episode whatsoever. Right, right. At all. Right. And the old couple on the motorcycle is presumably still in it. <laughs> I don't know where they've been in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. But that's pretty much it. Yeah. Everyone's out of the race right now, which is funny. Um, Ivy, by the way, is reading about different things in New Jersey, trying to figure out where Surrender America is. She reads about all the different towns called Buttsville. I like this joke a lot. It's dumb. It's fine. Yeah, a just a list of weird town names. 
And then uh, Wendy gets a call. She gets a call at the beginning of the episode saying, like, she calls the daycare and they're like, we'll call you if anything happens, but nothing's happening. And then the mm-hmm. lady calls her and she's like, yeah, so there's a guy asking about your son and he's really insistent and you have to come pick up your son right the fuck now or else. She's giving her no choice, no option. Why? Okay, it's fine. She goes, I'm in mom mode. You don't understand, but I need to drop this whole illegal race that I'm doing for my son to go get my son from the people who are probably involved in the race that I'm in, actually. Mm. Or they're involved with her husband or both. Maybe her husband's the orchestrator of the whole race. We don't know. But Ivy shows her hand and it's like, you can't turn around. You have to drive. And she's like, I'll give you the car. And she's like, I can't drive. Which I, I think, also shows a comically huge gun in her hand, by the I, way. I think <laughs> the, the like actress is a thing. small person also. I think she's just like small build. But so that gun looks big compared to her. Sure, but it is sure, it's sure. big. It definitely it's like goofy how big it is. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, she can't drive. I think this is a great reveal for a show like this. Yeah, I agree. Like having a passenger who is really motivated to win but literally cannot drive is clever because she has to rely on other people, even though she wants to be like a lone wolf type. Um, so we'll we'll pick up with that plot next week and see where that goes. Uh, and we got Rob and Ellie, the homies. Rob finally gets a payphone outside of another gas, different gas station this time. Uh, mm-hmm. Calls his commanding officer. His commanding officer is just the rudest dude ever. He's like, hey, so all your guys are in Fallujah and we tried calling you for the past two weeks and they're like way out there and one of them died and that's like a bummer. And he's like, yeah, no one told me. And they're like, we tried. Uh, where are you? You're not able to be picked up, huh? And he's like, I- I'll, co- I'll come right now. I'll go I'll go fight in the war right now. And they're like, no, you won't. You're going Go to the place where you can find the war, but instead we will court-martial you because yeah. you, you've, you've, you're AWOL. Is it really this severe in the military, Magellan? Is it really just like you you dot, you didn't fight for two weeks? I guess that's a lot. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. I mean, you like sign up to fulfill a particular duty, and it would make sense that the military would, would want to punish people who like opt out of that. Um, and yeah, you can get arrested and imprisoned for it. But he also says the the penalty for being court-martialed if I get declared guilty is uh, execution. Could, is I think I he's like, saying it could be execution. That's really wild. The U.S. military is... Ex- I, maybe I'm not... I don't know anything about the U.S. military. That's okay. But to execute people at all seems... Unless they are like war criminals. I don't know. I'm just not really mm-hmm. well-versed in this stuff, so that's why I defer on it but i mean i think it's one of those things where it's meant to like i think the logic of it is that it's a deterrent rather than like something that that somebody would want to actually carry out right right. um so like but it, it i'm sure it's happened i'm sure people have been executed for going awol um i don't know how reliable findlaw.com is (laughs) <laughs> but <laughs> finelaw.com says attempted desertion also is charged as a military crime as long as the attempt went beyond mere preparation. Desertion carries a maximum punishment of dishonorable discharge, forfeiture of all pay, and conf- confinement of five years. For desertion during t- a time of war, however, the death penalty may be applied at the discretion of the court marshal. Oh. So it's it's a possible penalty, and he's stressing that because he's trying to make a point to ellie about like how serious it is but 
you know, the sort of like minimum thing is you get kicked out and jailed. Um, because otherwise by the, and I'm, you know, speaking for a logic that I don't agree with, but by the logic of the military, if you didn't have that sort of a, that sort of a deterrent or punishment, you in theory would have more people desert and you'd have fewer soldiers and whatever, whatever. So that's why it's set up that way. I'm so glad to be talking about this show. I've never thought to go, I would go this much on a deep dive on Rob's plot in 2007's drive, (laughs) man, but I'm learning a lot of new things and I appreciate your insight. So thank you. Mm. Um, but yeah, they he now has to head out and again get diverted. So again, it just seems like nobody is going towards the objective anymore. No one cares. Right, right. Now I'm earnestly wondering if we even get to the next objective before the show ends. Like, what do we? Come on. Right. Although they, they and, do jump yeah. a lot. And what are the like game organizers gonna do? <laughs> They're gonna be like, whoa, wait, hey, Sarge, uh, this guy's cool actually. You know. Oh, that'd be kind of fun. If it's like the game, people are so powerful that they can like talk to the military. I bet that's what's going to happen there. Yes, I think so, too. There is in that article of like Tim Minear reveals what would have happened in drive. There is some stuff about where Rob's plot was going to go. That is truly buck wild. And we're not going to read until the very end, folks. But do do know that they thought about this. <laughs> that's what I'll say. Uh, I think that's all the plots, actually. Mm hmm. I really, I we, I, I felt the lot, the lack of of John and Violet. I was like, wait, where am I? The only good characters are not even in this episode, mm-hmm. right? So we've gone and paired up. I don't think this one's as bad as episode two. It's bad in different ways. Um, I think it just is leaning into things I don't care about. But we paired up the best episode with one of the most mediocre ones this week, and that isn't always. Yeah, I, th- I think this one. I think the first one is really propped up by the fact that the character relationships are pretty interesting and like the fundamental pairings of Alex and Karina and uh, Winston and Sean and Violet and her dad and not Robin Ellie, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ivy and uh, Melanie Linsky. Wendy. What's her name? Wendy. Um, I think all of those character relationships on some level are engaging to watch and I'm curious to see how they play out and how those characters figure out their conflicts. Mm -hmm. And episode three was kind of like mostly about that. And then episode four relied so much on the mechanics of the game, which don't make any sense. And so it just like collapses under its own wait i think uh first of all because this episode doesn't have subtitles although episode three did so they just they're selective i guess about the <laughs> subtitles i couldn't i couldn't understand the line i played it a few times but when they talk to the bank manager about like oh we're really excited for sorghum we're just here for the sorghum he goes oh really my daughter is a pogger in the yeast parade what the fuck <laughs> that line is gonna burn in my head like the random line from my dvd copy of recess the movie where the diggers go into the bus on their way to space camp and they say ah space camp i wonder if they'll let us dig craters just one <laughs> of those like completely right because the dvd that i own skipped a lot for folks i don't know if i've told this yeah. on chats before um but so i always remember them that exact delivery of ah space camp i wonder if they'll let us dig craters and now we add, my daughter is a pogger in the yeast parade 
too. <laughs> I don't think he says pogger. I couldn't hear it though. It's just the audio quality of the show is bad. Um, speaking of weird lines, Lee at one point is talking about how she hasn't changed or had a bath, and I really think she says the line, uh, I have moss growing on my teeth. <laughs> I think I think I heard that too. It's so gross. I think I heard that line too. I love it's my favorite HP Lovecraft story is the moss on the teeth. Yeah. Uh-huh. Disgusting. And then just it I uh, no one will ever pay as much attention to to Fox's drive as we are here, like I've said. And in an incredible bit of attention to detail, in the bank robbery sequence, Sean mm-hmm. reveals to everybody that the password to the safe is 635484. And then we okay. very clearly see Karina enter 635454. She enters a different number than what he said. <laughs> and we see her fingers hit the button. I was like, why did nobody catch this? That's like the easiest fucking thing. <laughs> And uh, I love it. I really wanted it to be like, it failed. <laughs> and she's like, why didn't it work? But no, <laughs> some some editor was like, ah, oh, we didn't film this twice and it doesn't make sense. But sure, keep it. No, 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 no weirdo in 2022 will make a podcast about it and joke about this scene. That won't happen. Sorry. Huh. Um, but that's all I got. That's now we are not turning back to talk about no turning back ever again. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm, I want to go to bed. That's that's better than the Lee line. I'll give you that. Yeah. Um, do you want to know what's happening in next week's episodes of Drive? I certainly do. So next time we are finishing Drive. Can you believe it? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's kind of sad. I, I I wish we could have had a whole season of this show. I, I would watch a whole season of it. Me too. But unfortunately, there were only six episodes. We're watching five and six next week. The Extra Mile in Rear View. I'm going to read you the description of the extra mile because the description of rear view has spoilers in it. Oh. And I don't want to spoil this episode for you. Have you Thank seen, you. did you see all of Drive when it was coming out? I know that I sought the online episodes out. So five and six aired online, right? These only aired online. Yeah. So I must have seen these. Okay. I don't remember. Uh, but you probably don't remember. Yeah. Not a lick. You want to know something fun? I don't know if this was the case for real in the online airing or what, but. Episode 5 is listed as having aired on April 30th, 2007. Episode 6 is listed as having aired on July 14th. So, Oh, I think they were several <laughs> months apart. I think that's the case. That's that's nuts to me. Yep. Um Did they produce any more? At what point in production did this show get canceled? How does that work that you get canceled after 6? Cuz wouldn't you have had to make more than that before the show starts airing? Yes. I will I know. I think that's partly what I was saying earlier is that Tim Minear was like, we would have made more episodes, but we were too busy like rewriting to fix to make to meet the uh, network notes. I see. It was interesting. Uh, it pilot aired April 15th, canceled on April 25th, 10 days after the pilot, the show was canceled. Damn. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So the extra mile as the racers speed toward the next pit stop, Alex, Karina, Winston, and Sean deal with the ramifications of their jump start. So next one's a fallout of, of that. And then episode six, I'm not going to read it. There's spoilers. It seems kind of interesting. Hopefully yeah. it feels somewhat final, uh, but we'll see. I don't remember it feeling final. To the question, oh, okay. which single work of yours do you feel didn't get the attention it deserved? Nathan Fillion said, I would say that I did a series called Drive that would have been a really good TV series if more than two episodes had aired. 
It was a lot of fun, and it was very short-lived. Sometimes I forget I was in it. <laughs> and finally, in the September 2007 issue of Marvel Comics' Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, Peter Parker comments that, quote, ever since Fox canceled Drive, it's been one piece of bad luck after another. Same, <laughs> Peter. Same, same, <laughs> same. Really love it. That's what we got, folks. That's what we gizzot. Magellan, thank you for everything in general. Can you tell the folks where they can find you on the podcast sphere? Sure. You can listen to me talk about video games on a show called Super Smash Echoes that I do with my friend Justin, where we play video games month to month that either uh, are related to franchises that are in Super Smash Brothers or they are echoes of those franchises, you know, maybe build off of those games. So we've played a few games that you've heard of before, Super Mario Bros. 3, uh, Majora's Mask, uh, Metroid Prime, stuff like that. We're currently playing through Earthbound, uh, a couple months worth of a playthrough, so you can join us over at Super Smash Echoes to hear a monthly game video game book club discussion show. Mm. Alan, what about you? Where, where do you cast pods? Uh, outside of chats and our, our various spheres of influence here, I can also be heard on the Hunter's Quorum, which is a Monster Hunter podcast over on scanlinemedia.com. My friend Six and I talk about all of the monsters, creatures, and uh, demons of the Monster Hunter video game franchise and whether or not they're worth a kiss or a hug. Or no, I'm just kidding. Sometimes we do, we do talk about that, but it's mostly, yo, does this guy look sick as hell or does he look kind of whack? Um, hmm. It's a fun kind of comedy wacky podcast, and we have some good guests. So I do recommend people check out The Hunter's Quorum. Uh, that's what we got. I will do the plug zone for this week. If you don't mind, Madge can go for it. Hey, folks, it's Chats Plug Zone time. If you have questions, comments, emails about Drive 2007, about On the Air, about New Amsterdam, about your favorite canceled show, or any show, chatspod at gmail.com is the place that you want to be. It's a great email zone, and we recommend you send us emails because we'll probably read them on the show if you're okay with that. We have a Twitter account, which is at ChatsPod, and over there you find updates about the show every time we post an episode. And we have a community-run subreddit, which is r slash ChatsPod over on Reddit. We have the return of Throw Chats Thursdays coming back soon. We're old listeners who listen to old episodes of old pods of ours. <laughs> If you like the podcast, please consider rating us on your podcast platform of choice, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, what the heck have you. We're everywhere. And if we're not everywhere, you got to tell us. You legally do. Somewhere else that we're at is Patreon. Patreon.com slash ChatsPod is where you can find all sorts of bonus content related to chats, what we watch, what we talk about, what we discuss, etc. It's a great time. Um, Patreon.com slash ChatsPod. One, three, five dollars a month. You got different tiers. Magellan's watching the X Files over there by himself in the dark. It's sick and twisted. He's like Batman, but for Mulder and Scully. I almost said Mulder and Tully, which is appropriate. Um, <laughs> we've got commentary chats where we watch movies. We got people spinning, making us spin a wheel where they pick what we watch. It's great. Really fun stuff over there. And if you are a five dollar patron or more, then you get thanked at the end of every main feed episode. And so for this week, I would like to personally thank for their patronage and for their existence on God's green earth, the following people. Arthur, Jen, Kat, Magellan's mom, Marcus, Mike, Nick and Pat of the Brothers at Infinite War, Fenden, Six, Stefan, and Andrew. 
Thank you so much for supporting Chats the Television Podcast. All things Chats Pod can be found at chatspod.com. That's our web zone. Our web podcast art was done by the wonderful Camilla. She can be found at Camilla Strader on various social media platforms if you want to commission her to do stuff for you or just appreciate the work that she does as an artiste. Camilla Strader, spelled the way it sounds. And that is just about all we have. But before we go home, folks, we like to wrap with uh, a little segment called Chatsums, where every host recommends a thing, a piece of media, an experience for the listener to enjoy between this and the next episode of Chats. So, uh, Magellan, if you don't mind, I will go first. I will do my Chatsum. Uh, my Chatsum is a new series. It's an HBO Max original series that's been blowing up in certain corners of the internet. It's called Our Flag Means Death. It is a new show from Taika Waititi and company. It is about a bunch of pirates who are led by a British aristocrat who decided to leave his life of boring aristocracy and instead become a swashbuckling pirate in the 1700s. They go through all sorts of funny adventures. It's a very funny show, and it's getting a lot of hype online because it is gay, folks. It's <laughs> the queerest show I've seen in recent memory. Um, it's all the there's just so many beautiful, vivid depictions of queerness and queer love in this series. It also just happens to be extraordinarily funny, heartfelt, full of interesting characters and world building, and um, interesting discussions of like you know masculine friendship and whatnot. So. Highly, highly recommend Our Flag Means Death. If any of that it sounds interesting, it's one season, 10 episodes long, 30-minute episodes on HBO Max. Majon, I can't keep talking in this like perfect radio voice for much longer before my vocal cords <laughs> collapse, so can you <laughs> take us home with your chats and please? Sure. So I wanted to make a couple chatsums that are slightly different. Um, first of all, I want to double down on Ryan's chatsum from last week of that episode of Reply All. Um that he mentioned i listened to it and it's incredible me too it is incredible uh, it's really really good so thank you ryan for being patient with me and recommending that to me several years running until i finally listened to it um i'm, I'm glad that i did um i have a sort of strange thing that's been happening to me on youtube that i shared with you the other day that i want to formally recommend to people so Somehow my YouTube shorts have turned into a space where like 80% of the shorts recommended to me are either clips or montages from friends or clips from interviews with Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal. And I, I don't know how it happened, but it's been nice. It's been, you know, it's been good to kind of scroll through YouTube and then be like, hey, let me check in on my favorite group of friends the six friends from friends and their friends kobe Bryant and shaquille o'neal um so that that's been fun and then i have an actual like meteor youtube recommendation um there's this creator named maggie may fish who a few weeks ago i watched she had a video on the video is called the myth of auteur theory the shining plus lost highway um, and so it's this, yeah, so it's this deconstruction of like the toxic masculinity that went into the creation of The Shining on the part of Stanley Kubrick and just also looking at like the story of The Shining and what it's about. And it, it's a really interesting video. Um, I think it's really cool. And 
she has another video that I haven't watched yet. I've watched the first couple of minutes and I'm excited to dig into it more and I'm already ready to recommend it, which is Twin Peaks actually, actually explained no, but for real this time. And it's her from the part of it that I've seen. That's like the thesis of it. It's her sort of saying like, let's roll back these like roadmap you know, find the perfect answer analyses of Twin Peaks and get to looking at the themes of it and the feelings of it. And, you know, this is my interpretation, which is not prescriptive and not going to ruin your viewing of the show. But like, here's what I think on a in a sort of definitive way. So I'm confident that that's going to be good. And if you've been missing Twin Peaks discussion, um, Maggie Mae Fish has that video and then a variety of other uh, movie and, and culture videos that are pretty cool. Can I can I tell you something funny? Because your other sure. chat was also co-opted by Ryan S. Or, you know, recommended by him. Uh, he plugged that exact same YouTube video in our... This is a plug for our chat's Discord uh, back in March March 19th in our Peaks Chats. Uh, uh, chat. There you go. He Great. recommended the Maggie Mae Fish video. Uh, I don't think I saw that in the Peaks Chats Discord, but that's awesome. Yeah. Great minds think alike. Maggie Mae Fish... M-A-E. Ryan and I have very similar YouTube recommendations, I think. Yeah, I think it's also an yeah. algorithmic thing where because you recommend things to each other, it just like ping pongs back and forth. Yeah, I think we're just on the same algorithm right now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is fun. Groovy, man. Well, thank you for the recommendations and thank you for your presence as always. As always. Yeah. Just deliver that perfectly. As always. Thank you. Uh, and thank you all very, very much for listening to this episode of Drive Chats. We'll see you at the next checkpoint.